Welcome to Give God 90 Radio On Demand. My name is Jerry Mitchell, your host for Give God 90. Thank you for joining me for just a little while. Uh, As we look at something, you read the title right. Uh, It is the Five Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And we're going to get to that in just a second. First, let me remind you, if you are among the growing number of people who are downloading the Give God 90 app, we thank you. If you're not, please give it a shot. Uh, It takes less than a minute to download. It is free. Doesn't cost you anything. All you have to do is just go to your your, uh, Play Store or App Store and download Give God 90, and you will be ready to listen, uh, be notified when I release new podcasts, all that good stuff that you're used to. You can also listen to Give God 90 on your favorite podcast outlet, whether it's iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or even Spreaker, where we generate this from. <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh, other thing, need to remind you, um, go to GiveGod90.com and check us out there. You can take the 90-day challenge if you so choose. Uh, a lot of people have done it, and it has helped a lot of people. And something I was reminded the other day, I don't often enough, apparently, tell you how Give God 90 got its name. And that all came from a conversation I had with a rabbi a number of years ago. And I made the offhand comment, if people would just live the way God designed them to live for 90 days, they would see how much their life would improve, and they would just continue living that way. He looked at me and said, that's a great idea, write it up. And... uh couple times after that I saw him for a couple of weeks and and he says well where is it where is it and I'm looking forward to what you have to write and finally I I wrote it down and give God 90 grew out of that conversation so it's not a goal-oriented plan it is simply a way for you to bring your busy life back into uh, the way the lifestyle making it fit the lifestyle that your creator designed you to live in now, let's go ahead and get going on uh, the five horsemen of the apocalypse. I'm going to be honest with you, right up front, I'm only going to get to four today, okay? <laughs> You're going to have to wait till uh, next time to figure out who the fifth one is. So as we we look at, you know, the, the five horsemen, typically you're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's only four. I know there's only four. And you know what? For the most part, you're correct. But there is five. The four we are uh, most uh, <laughs> most associated with, of course, is the uh, white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale or green horse, as it says in Greek. Um, and these horsemen are important. They really are. But why do we often think of these things as only four when we know there's five? Well, artist rendition gives us a lot of things. You know, art really, really has a a lot to do with the way we think about things, including the Bible, right? When we think about how much art influences the way we think, look at, well, let's just take, for instance, the, the gentleman who was asked to... Well, the gentleman, the artist who was asked to uh, put together the artwork from uh, ape to man. And you typically have 
uh, you know, either this ape walking on on four, you know, two back feet and then kind of leaning forward and, and walking with his hands. And then later on, you see him kind of standing up and then becoming more erect and then more erect. And finally, we get to man. <clears throat> Is that an accurate portrayal of what happened? Well, if you believe the Bible, then it's no, it's not. We know that apes are apes and men are men, and there's no transition between the species. We literally have tons of fossil records, but we see zero transitionary species today. None. Through well, of all the fossils that have ever been collected, of all the fossils that we have plaster casts of and that we've chipped out of rocks, all the bones that we've been able to put back together, there is nothing in any of that evidence that says there's a transition from monkey to man or from ape to man or from dinosaur to bird or from any of those things. It just doesn't happen. <clears throat> but artist rendition gives us that information that we think we know. A few months ago, I read an article where they had extracted some DNA from some bones that they found. Uh, this person, they believe, lived about 5,000 years ago. And they were able, in this D through this DNA... Uh, to know that this person was female. And DNA gives us a tremendous amount of information. But there's things that are coded in DNA that we have not learned to decipher the code yet. For instance, DNA we know holds the code for what color our skin is, what color our hair is, what color our eyes are. But we don't know the code yet. We haven't been able to read it that way. We know it's got to be there because DNA includes everything that we understand about people. But we just don't know, understand the code. We can't read it yet. However, the people who discovered this went to an artist and said, can you draw us a picture of what a 5,000 year old person would have been doing? And the artist said, sure, I'll be happy to draw you a picture if you pay me. <clears throat> they paid him the money, and out comes this picture of a young girl uh, with kind of tannish skin, black hair, and she is leaning over a fire stirring a pot. So apparently, 5,000 years ago, every young girl had tan skin, black hair, and they stirred a pot, right? That's what... Artist conceptions can do for us, and they can either help us or they harm us. And it does that in the Bible, too. Now, if we think about this, if we look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, it says, I beheld in the midst of the throne and the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Okay? Now, there we have what John depicts as that. The problem with this is that somewhere along the line, an artist got a hold of this, and he drew an animal that looks kind of like a goat that has seven horns coming out of his head, seven eyes around his head. But 
Is that really what this means? You see, when we actually read the words and study the Bible for ourselves, we don't get that picture. In fact, what we should get is a picture of the person that John has described, has always described as the Lamb of God, right? And would that Lamb of God then have seven horns coming out of his head? No, it wouldn't. Because horn in Hebrew is a symbol of authority. But the word horn can also mean a ray of light. Okay? So does he have these rays of light? Or is he holding... Think about this because if he's got these things, is he holding them in his hand? Or is it representing that he has the authority that he needs to do what the Father is sending him to do? Also in Hebrew, the word seva or sheva are spelled exactly the same. We are expected to know by the context of the sentence what it's talking about. Okay? We look at this word uh, for either seven, the number seven, or the meaning, uh, the, the definition satisfactory. If something is satisfied, you know, like uh, not, not completely full, but content. Um, if you've had a big meal, all right, and you've eaten to the point just before where you have to loosen your, your button on your pants, all right, you, you see what I mean? It's completely satisfied. It's just exactly the right amount. So if we think of this verse, instead of having the number seven, but now what we see is he has just the right amount of authority, okay, to accomplish what the Father sending him to accomplish. And he has just the right amount of vision that matches what the Father sending him to do. Does that give us a different concept? You see, art sometimes is wrong. Artist conceptions can sometimes be wrong. <clears throat> we have uh, inherited lies, according to Jeremiah. And some of these lies are taught to us over and over and over and over again until we get this image in our heads that say, well, that must be the way it is. And that's the way Satan likes to work, right? The enemy comes in and he shows us something. And we get this, if we jump ahead to Revelation 6-2, we see the first seal stripped away. And Revelation 6-2, John writes, I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown, and was given to him, and he went forth to conquer and was conquering. All right. The first person in the world ever to be conquered was who? Eve. Right? The very first person in the world to be conquered was Eve. Adam followed, you know, not very far behind, like maybe a few seconds, a few minutes, we don't really know. But Eve ate, and then Adam ate. Eve, you know, when when the enemy came to Eve and the serpent came down, he didn't force anything on Eve. He, He schmoozed Eve, right? He wooed her into, don't you want to be like God? Did God really say that? You know, he's he's really a good example of a 
evil salesman. Let's just say it that way. He, he brings Eve into this point where she now is on his side. And once that happens, once a salesman gets you there, he can get you to sign any piece of paper that you know he puts in front of you. And that's exactly what happened to Eve. He, she was conquered, not necessarily with force, but with wooing, with questions, with date. I don't want to say dating, but with courtship. She was conquered by her own emotion. Do you, I hope you can see where I'm going with that. It, it didn't take him, you know, he didn't have to hold her down and force her to eat the food. He was able to make it so that she voluntarily consumed something she was told not to. <clears throat> Verse 6 4. And there went out another horse that was red, and the power was given to him that sat uh, thereon to take. Peace from the earth. Now, peace in Hebrew is shalom, right? Most everybody knows that. The definition of that is not the peace like you might be thinking. The definition of shalom in Hebrew means the destruction of chaos. It means taking chaos and destroying it by placing order where there was disorder. If we're going to remove peace from the earth, we're not talking about the physical earth. We're talking about removing uh, the order and placing disorder in in among people, because that's where it is designed to be. What we're going to see is, as these seals are stripped, it doesn't really affect the physical world, it affects our emotions, it affects humanity, it affects our feelings and the way we deal with each other. Um, This order was taken away that we should kill one another. Oh my, how about that? You see, when we remove the order that the Almighty had set up, what happens now is we don't know how to get along with each other. So we are able to destroy one another. If we go on to verse 5 of chapter 6, and we had opened the third seal, the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. Now these are scales, okay? We're going to affect now the financial system, But that's not all. We're going to affect the economic system, but that's not all. What else do we weigh in balance? When it comes to dealing with each other, uh, you all, probably all of us, at some point had someone give us a piece of advice like, you know, make sure that you maintain a good reputation. Make sure that you maintain uh, the, the type you know, be the respectful type of person you always are so you have a good name. People understand you. They want to do business with you. you know, they want to have you in their lives. You see, this pair of balances not only disrupts the economic uh, system that, that man has, but it also disrupts the way we look at each other, the trust it disrupts it, you know if things are out of balance in a relationship 
you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be satisfied. If things are out of balance in your life, you're not going to be satisfied. And it doesn't matter really whether it's the economics or financial system or if it's a relationship system. It doesn't even matter if it's the way you think about yourself. All of these things are weighed in accordance, right, to our character sometimes. They're weighed in accordance to our bank accounts sometimes. But every time we, we look at the way something is measured, this is now going to be what it affects. Again, affecting our emotions, affecting humanity. We look at verse 8. I looked and behold a pale or a green horse. And his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with a sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Let's break that down a little bit and see what it says. If we're going to kill uh, (laughs) with a sword, that's pretty easy to understand, right? That could be man on man. If we kill with hunger, what does it mean to kill with hunger? Well, that's kind of confusing there. But think about this. If, if, if I am a physically addicted to something, doesn't matter whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever that addiction is, I feel like I'm going to die without it. I can't get along without it, right? So as we, as we die from this physical need, that's what we're looking at. Sometimes, sometimes, being so addicted to something causes people to overdose on something, right? They can overdose on drugs. They can overdose on alcohol. They can overdose on, you know, we we talk about adrenaline junkies. If you're jumping out of an airplane, that parachute doesn't open. It's going to be a bad, bad day for you, to say the very least. It will probably be a really bad day for those who love you. So yes, even adrenaline has its dangers if you are too addicted to it. Now, it's pretty easy to understand how you kill the sword and how uh, addiction can kill us, you know, being hungry for something. How do you kill with death? Well, think about this. In in the Middle Ages, we had this thing called the Black Death, the Black Plague. What we're looking at here are the simple things that we often call curses, the weakening of our physical bodies to the point where we allow disease and virus. And I know that when this is coming out, uh, you're going to be thinking of coronavirus, right? Well, yeah, that's part of it too. If you're going to kill someone with death, then you're looking at virus, disease, bacteria, right? That's what this particular thing is getting at. And then it says, with the beasts of the earth. Typically, when John's talking about beasts of the earth, he's looking at machinery. The type of, now these could be war machines, uh, these could just, uh, in the United States and in other developed countries, we could be talking about automobiles sometimes, right? Because automobiles kill more people today than just about anything else, even though we're trying to make them safer. 
So don't think uh, that we're we're looking at this uh, from some um, mystical standpoint. These are very relevant passages. These are very real passages. And we can see how they fit in today if we stop trying to force things into them and we let them speak to us. If we, if we dissect these passages properly, we don't even have to interpret them because they will interpret themselves. If we just stop and ask the questions. And if we don't let the artist's renditions tell us how to think about them. So, let's, uh, let's continue because this next one, um, this next one's going to be amazing. But, but really, really stop and think about how these things, uh, they just affect humanity. All of these horsemen affect humanity. In verse 6-9, here's where we see a little bit of a change, but not really. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. What John gets to see are the martyrs. Those who have died or who have held on to their faith unto death. Those people okay, that were killed for whatever reason, whenever in history, John gets a glimpse of what's going on under the altar. Wow. But listen to what it continues to say. They cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, are you not going to judge and avenge our blood of those who dwell on the earth? White robes were given to every one of them. And it was said to them, Rest just a little while longer until their fellow servants and their brothers until their fellow servants and their brothers were killed as well. Oh my. Oh my. Ladies and gentlemen, I've I've got to tell you, this is the verse that I look at and I am so reminded of how gracious our creator is that fifth seal is stripped now there's no barrier between the dead and the creator and i get this image in in my mind of if you've ever had a a child cry out in the middle of the night and you open the door and, and maybe you go in and lay a hand on them calm them down go back to sleep it's not time to get up yet Just a little while longer. It's okay. You don't have to get up yet. It's not time. That's that's the image of our Creator as Father right there. Just, Just rest a little while longer. It's not time. Just a little while longer. Once that seal is stripped and He can hear them and He can comfort them, those are the folks... And maybe some of your relatives, maybe some of the people you know are stirring in that. Don't, can't you take comfort in the Almighty opening that door and saying, just a little while longer, not yet. 
it's okay. I've got this. Just a little while longer. Just a little while longer. Just rest. Easy. I take so much comfort knowing that the people that I know who were true to the faith all the way to the end, who had placed their faith in the Almighty, I can think of several people I know. They may not have been outright killed. They may have simply died. Uh, but, but they died being faithful. Some were even taken advantage of. But once they, once they found their faith, they hung on to it. All the way to the end. Those are the folks. You know, you don't have to be flat out killed. If you were ever, ever tormented or I guess the, the, the modern term is bullied for your faith. The Almighty has you. He hears you. And He's telling you, just rest a little while longer. Those folks, you know, we often often think about, um, and I really wasn't going to go here, but we often think about the martyrs as just the ones who were flat out killed for their faith. We don't often think about the people who are faithful all the way to the end of their lives being tormented by the other things, disease sometimes, being tormented by addiction sometimes, being tormented by these things that have weakened our physical bodies to the point where we just don't we just can't live any longer for whatever reason. I, there's a gentleman uh, I know who is, well, I'm going to be honest, he's failing physically. His faith is just as strong today as it was last time I saw him. But it won't be long because his body is weakening. He's becoming susceptible to the diseases, to the things, to, to all of the things that Adam and Eve allowed in. But at the same time, I know that because of his faith, he has at times been tormented. He has at times had people bully him because he has remained faithful. But even he will be one of those martyrs because he was faithful to the end when his end comes. You see, we don't always, we don't always get the artist rendition in our minds that we should. I'm reminded of a very, very short lady. <laughs> she always played Zacchaeus in the church plays. Uh, one of the one of the few people in the world that I know who was shorter than my wife. Uh, Miss Lily passed away a number of years ago at a gracious four foot eight inches tall. She passed away holding on to her faith quite literally. She had a uh, a cross carved out of a piece of olive tree that was brought back from 
Israel. And that, for her, signified a physical application of faith. Now, I am, and you, most of you all know, if you've listened to me very long, I don't put any stock in idols or good luck charms or anything like that. She viewed this not as an idol, not even as a symbol, but for her, it was something physical she could hold on to. It was her physical evidence of something that wasn't seen. She loved the Almighty with all her heart. And it comforts me greatly when I read that passage and I have an image in my mind of the creator of the universe speaking to her as she stirs in her rest and saying, it's okay. It's going to be just a little while longer. Not much more now, just a little while longer. That does offer us the comfort. And that's scriptural comfort, not man-made comfort. Okay? Ladies and gentlemen, that's where I'm going to leave off. You get to find out who the fifth horseman is when I get to part two. Until then, have a wonderful, wonderful week.